It's time for episode 201 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August 9th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast with a life expectancy shorter than a common house fly. I am your host this week, Micah Sargent, and I am joined by a guest co-host, the one and only podcaster at Most Important Meal and the incomparable and videographer, Brian Hamilton. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. I'm really glad we got to 201 because you really don't want to get to 200 and lose. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're fired. Uh, wait, what? No! We, we are joined by two awesome, awesome, awesome guests this week. Sitting to my left is digital editor at the Kansas City Star and Integrate Podcast co-host, Leah Becerra, and also just one of my favorite tech people in general. Leah, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, that was so nice. I'm so glad I'm here, too. And to my left is editorial director at Mobile Nations and Rose Gold Maven, Renee Ritchie. How's it going, Renee? Oh, the latter is far more important than the former, so thank you for stressing it. I'm great, and I'm so happy you started off this show with hashtag Dan jokes, because that just means it's going to be smooth sailing. I had here. to up the Dan joke, Ante, because he's not here. Or the Dante, if you will. Oh, no. I thought I got a break. Such a great show already. <laughs> well, you all know how this works. We're going to have four topics from each of us the people on the show. We're going to try to not take longer than 30 minutes, so we should definitely get started. Up first is my question, because I'm selfish. Uh, I'm just curious what your social media routine is. Like, do you go to Snapchat and post a video, and then you hop over to Instagram and make sure that you post that same video in Instagram stories, and then you go to Twitter? Or do you just use one? I just, I'm just curious to hear uh, if, if Snapchat stories and Instagram stories and all those things are important to you, or we just stick to one social media network work and kind of where you get your information from. Leah, we'll start with you. I think I see Snapchat and Instagram kind of as my leisure social media accounts. So I tend to use those more so on the weekends. But like when it comes to work, um, I work at a newspaper. So Twitter, Facebook, those are things that I definitely associate with, you know, getting stuff done and getting information out. Whereas Snapchat and Instagram, you know, if my cat is looking really cute today. I'm going to post a picture of her to Instagram, probably to Snapchat too, um, but not on Facebook, not on Twitter, unless, of course, it's International Cat Day. Then, of course, I'm going to post a picture of my cat to Twitter. <laughs> For me, I wind up only using Twitter mostly. For me, uh, Snapchat and Instagram, I'm not a fan of ephemera when it comes to social media. I like to be able to, you know, do the Todd Vaziri thing and retweet things of mine from years ago because they're still there. So I find myself posting to Twitter the most and maybe Instagram, not the stories, but the official ones, uh, and then cross posting it to uh, Twitter as well. Facebook, Never, never, definitely not. It's, that's the place where I, uh, I hang out with uh, people I can't really unfriend for social reasons from high school. So for me, <laughs> I wind up uh, using everything else where the people I want to be with uh, is. And then on Facebook, that's where the people I don't want to be, but kind of have to. 
I feel a real lack of social diversity on this panel, Micah, because I'm going to give the exact same answer is that Twitter is sort of like my, <laughs> my water cooler. And then I used to use Snapchat, but it felt like a lot of work to rebuild uh, an entire network there, especially when Zuckerberg et al. were busy stealing every feature left and right. So I've just defaulted to Instagram and I use the stories there and the, and the um, pictures there. And I'm too lazy to, some people get really angry at you if you just share to Twitter or Facebook, but I, I can't. I just don't have the time to go and replicate everything on all different platforms. So I post on Instagram, I share that to Twitter, I water cooler on Twitter, and Facebook, uh, exactly that. I use it for relatives so that we don't have to exchange phone calls or postcards and just have this ambient awareness we're all still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that from a lot of people, actually, uh, about Facebook kind of being the, the, the flag that says, yes, I'm still here, I'm still breathing for, for family members that are kind of extended. Uh, all good answers. Uh, for me, I still am just like, Snapchat is so much work to me, and I, I don't get it. And and I also have realized, because I even tried to spend a week posting to Instagram stories. And my biggest problem was that I, I feel like my life is just super boring in comparison. <laughs> I don't I don't sit and think, okay, I would like to post this to Instagram stories now. I would like to post this. It just, it all ends up being sort of like, uh, it's the same thing. I'm having my cup of coffee. I'm sitting at my desk and typing. So I don't end up posting those very much. I do love to scroll through Instagram. I don't really ever open Snapchat except whenever Shane, my partner, is begging me to open Snapchat and look <laughs> at something that he sent. Um, and Twitter is like my my go-to for, for all the things. So I think fairly similar, except some of you are far more savvy, I think, in uh, using Snapchat uh, and even Instagram stories and stuff like that. So awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Leah's topic. So traditionally print focused medias, um, you'll think magazines, newspapers, when I when I ask this question, are having kind of a rough go at transitioning to digital right now. And so I want to get from you tech savvy people what you think they're doing right in transitioning, um, what maybe they're doing wrong. But also, if you're not subscribing to, say, your local newspaper or something like that, what could they do to get you to actually pay for their product? You know, what could they do better? For me, I want to be able to pick up my iPad and feel like I'm picking up a newspaper. Even when I was a little kid, I never really read through the entire newspaper that my family subscribed to and took a lot of time maybe just going through one or two things and then having to throw a big wad of paper away. Jason Snell talks a lot on his uh, Secret Subscriber podcast for Six Colors about the New Yorker effect, where you subscribe for a monthly fee, and even though you get a lot of value out of it, if you don't uh, use all of the stuff or read all of the stuff they provide for you, you feel kind of like you're not getting your money's worth, even though you're getting a lot. So what I like is to be able to feel like I'm managing my subscriptions nicely and and when it comes to uh, different, you know, traditional media apps that are on the App Store, it feels way, way too overwhelming to download this app and have all of this overwhelming stuff on my screen all at once like a big old newspaper. So something like uh, the old magazine app that Marco Arman and Glenn Fleischman ran together is my ideal uh, traditional media subscription because it is easy to manage and not as overwhelming. Uh, what they're doing right, in my opinion, is mobile video because it is, uh, it's really fascinating to me that... Uh, you know, YouTubers talk a lot about the algorithm and having to feed this big algorithm that winds up uh, serving all of their media to a whole bunch of different people, uh, apropos of nothing or apropos of uh, of this algorithm that's being made. So uh, mobile video to me is another step in the right direction in a new way of consuming things that doesn't feel like a big overwhelming wad of paper in the morning. 
So I, I grew up in the print industry and I have a lot of affection for it, but I also realize that sometimes there are, uh, you know, end of life events and things have to either adapt or die. And that entire industry was built upside down for the digital age. They had very, very small top and incredibly big bottom. And it just, that doesn't work now. I think they have great personalities and if they, if they could get their personalities in, out front and sort of divest themselves of all the remnants of the old print industry, they would, they would have a thriving business, but that's, you know, those, that's still thousands and thousands of jobs. And it's going to be a very, it's going to be brutal as a lot of other industries will as we get to more digital and more autonomous technologies. Uh, and I, I do think that I would subscribe more if I got better, more simple products. I have subscribed to several of the newspapers, especially now that they're doing such terrific reporting, but their their schemes are convoluted. Uh, it's often they're reader hostile and they just, they don't have a good sense and savvy. So I would, I would hope that they would actually hire more younger, not younger in terms of age, but younger in terms of approach and fresher approach that really take them digital first and make it exactly what you said. I pick up an iPad and I have a phenomenal experience with whatever I want to look at. And I can just go from paper to paper, personality to personality, column to column and, and learn more things. I got to agree with everybody here. I think, you know, when I think of uh, watching television, which is another area that's also changing the way that we consume media there. I go and choose what I want to watch and I don't pay attention to the rest of it. I don't sit through, you know, some horrible show that I don't really want to watch just to get to the one that I do. I think the same should apply here. And I think that's where digital comes first. If I can kind of go through and pick and choose what it is that I'm interested in and be able to have that, then that's going to work for me. I also think that, um, what, what a friend of mine works at, a Chicago publication, and its name escapes me at the moment, but they have a really, really cool kind of arts and uh, arts and media magazine type deal that is fascinating. And I think that something like that to where you could subscribe to not the the standard newspaper, because a lot of that news you might be getting online, but some of the more interesting stories and features and maybe local uh, businesses and, and pubs and bars and what have you. Those are the interesting things to me that I think can keep uh, the newspaper relevant because we've got an opportunity to kind of connect you to the community in a way that's not about uh, crime blotter where someone has, has had their car broken into that you can just go online and look at the the uh, police officer's report or whatever. So any sort of uniqueness that you can add that's more modern, as Renee is saying, and kind of younger in the sense that it's 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 new and fresh, those seem to be the things that work well. And those are the things that could get me spending, you know, $3.99 a month or whatever it would happen to be. I am so happy to get all of these responses and only have one mention of money um, <laughs> through <laughs> all those responses. Well, I'm so used to hearing people say that they love the information that newspapers, magazines put out there, but they don't want to pay for it. So it was it was so, so, so awesome to hear um, you guys focus on the user experience, because that is definitely something that, you know, I work at a newspaper, but it's something that we're thinking about and something that we're moving toward. Um, but thank you for like actually wanting to pay us for our hard work. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, Take our money. <laughs> many of us here at least have have a, a connection to that. So we, we certainly want to make sure that you get paid and we get paid. Uh, well, I just checked my watch and it looks like it is halftime. And that means it's time for a halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise is brought to you by Casper. I do love Casper. Casper is a company that is focused on sleep. They make the perfect premium mattress and sell it online for a fraction of what it would cost at a store. Casper 
Casper's award-winning mattress was developed in-house, has a sleek design, and is delivered in an impossibly small box. In addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. They've got a bed frame. They've got it all. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Though it's no surprise, they have an average of 4.8 stars across more than 30,000 online reviews. Their San Francisco research and development team have developed a proprietary foam that relieves pressure and increases airflow. Then they combine it with a springy comfort layer to contour to your body and keep you cool. This means Casper mattresses have just the right sink and just the right bounce. You may have heard that before. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices, and they are designed and developed right here in America. They've cut the hassle and costs of dealing with showrooms and are passing those savings directly to the consumer. I friggin' love my Casper mattress with all of my heart. I've got the Casper sheets, the Casper bed frame, the Casper uh, box spring thingy, the platform, I think is what they call it, the pillows, all of it. Uh, and actually, I just recently, one of my reviews for the Casper mattress, I think it was, was featured in a commercial for Casper. That's how much I love this company. Buying a Casper mattress is so easy and it's completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns to the US, Canada, and now the UK too. Cheerio. With Casper, you can actually get to sleep on their mattress before you make your decision. Try it out for 100 nights and decide if it's the mattress you want to spend a third of your life on. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash clockwise and using the code clockwise at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for their support of the show and all of Relay. All right, Brian, time for you to take it away. I want to talk to all of y'all about the iPad, our favorite little tablet that could. Uh, congratulations on its uh, on its first quarter year-over-year uh, -year increase. Yay! Uh, I want to ask you all about one app or kind of app that you want to see on the iPad that isn't there yet. What do you think is holding it back? So, I mean, I think the obvious ones for me are the pro apps. And I'm not talking about the the new pro apps, the ones where we thought we've seen a lot of those comes out 3D modelers and uh, paint manipulators, but it's sort of like the old school models, the Photoshop that everybody wants, the Final Cut, whether it's a you know an, a version of iMovie that just has more pro features, or even a controller uh, that you can put next to Final Cut and use it to do all sorts of fantastic touch-first things that just aren't as fast on a keyboard. Uh, and I think two things are holding that back. One is you know always inertia. Um, companies have these really old code bases, and a lot of, there's a lot of skeletons buried in there, and it takes a while to do new approach, which is maybe why Adobe started with their own separate mobile apps. But the other one is still the value in the tablet market. It, uh, software costs money the same way newspapers we were just talking about cost money. And as a society, we've decided we don't want to pay for things, whether it's content or apps or, or anything. We, would, we want everything for free. We want it now. We want to move on to the next thing almost immediately. And until I think we start to realize that we need to invest in apps that are really valuable and really important, and I, I can't say I have any answers about how to do that. I don't think that we'll see a thriving market for those. And maybe Apple and Google can help with premium stores or more options or, or whatever. But until Adobe can sort of monetize Photoshop or Premiere or After Effects, until Apple can really put a pro-level app onto the App Store, until every company can uh, do that sort of thing, I think it'll still lag behind. <sighs> Not to, to, you know, steal the same exact answer, but to steal the same exact answer. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I like that, you know, there are re 
thunked, rethinked, rethanked applications that exist for the pros that are on iPad. But really what I do want is as close to uh, actual as I can get whenever it comes to the Adobe suite. I, I know all of my Photoshop keyboard shortcuts. I know all of my Final Cut keyboard shortcuts, all of my Audition keyboard shortcuts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I wish that I could have those apps right there on iPad because then I would not necessarily have to use my my Mac all the time. Or if I was on the go and I really quickly needed to make an adjustment to a video or to some audio or, uh, you know, Photoshop Renee drinking 75,000 cups of coffee out, coffee out of rose gold mugs, then I could do that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that uh, same, same answer for sure. You know, I might be the dissenting opinion on this one, but I never want to use pro apps on an iPad because, frankly, the screen is just too small. Um, and file management just isn't in a place where I think it would work. Um, it would literally need to be a computer in tablet form for me to really use it like a computer. Um, that said, when I was thinking about how to answer this question, um, the only thing on my computer that I wish I could do in my iPad on a regular basis is actually um, visiting this site that uses Java, um, so that's never going to happen, um, to let me use an emulator to play old Pokemon video games. So, you know, <laughs> if, if there were a way to make that happen, that'd be fantastic. But, you know, I just, I just don't see it happening in the near future. You got to catch them all. Uh, no, all great <laughs> answers all around. Uh, on one hand, Leah, I agree that the iPad is built for specific things. And I feel like we're coming up to the edge of that where all the really great word processors, all the really great web apps, all the really great games are on iPad now. And now we need, again, Renee, the pro apps and all the things that need to come together for, to make that work. For me specifically, I want to edit videos on the iPad because, yeah, I edit videos on a 13-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, 12.9-inch iPad Pro is not that much different, so that wouldn't be a big factor for me. Uh, I feel like the things holding it back are, again, iOS, uh, you know, not being able to deal with external storage very well or any sort of extra, uh, you know, mouse kind of thing, or the keyboard shortcuts are okay, but again keyboards on the iPad are kind of iffy. Uh, the pro apps that Apple wants uh, everyone to use and are pushing, like Procreate, aren't everybody's pro apps. So I totally agree that bringing those pro apps to uh, iOS, just look at how long it took Scrivener to move to iPad from a world-class uh, developer, and it took them super, super long to do. Uh, even like a scaled-down version of, I use Avid Media Composer, imagine a scaled-down version where I can ingest footage on an iPad. Like They make iPads with 512 gigs of storage now. It's half a terabyte. That's a huge amount of storage for something that most people usually only use for consumption or quote-unquote consumption. Uh, the fact that there's uh, there's a way to do things on the iPad that Apple thinks are pro enough, uh, I feel like is enough indication for them to do something along the lines of bring video apps, bring ways for video apps to interact with external things on the iPad. So thank you all for your answers. So my question, and I don't know if this reflects on me just becoming old and sort of disgruntled uh, with my line of work, or if it's just we've been doing this now for 10 years and it's sort of coming to a crux. But every year, uh, right before Apple is expected to announce a new iPhone, we start to get these leaks and then we start to get what I'm calling pre-iPhone stress disorder where people, like last year, fam 
famously Ninoy Patel wrote that Apple not having a headphone jack was user hostile and stupid based only on rumors of Apple not having a headphone jack. This year, Google is apparently working on phones that have no buttons or no ports. And Apple you know, has all new designs uh, that might have a, a unibrow or a little a little piece in, in, the, in the front of it. And people are worried about that. And it, you know, Apple's going to announce what they're going to announce. So I'm, one, I'm wondering if people really are just change averse, if we don't like the idea of change. I mean, we hate boredom, but we don't like change either. Or if this is just an internet thing where we we don't have anything else to talk about right now. And a lot of people are going to make a lot of clicks off filling up our spare time. It's a little bit of all of it, Renee, I think. Um, so yeah, on one hand, I, I've, I've always said this, and I still think it's true. Anytime anyone tells you that they love change and that change is their favorite thing and change <laughs> is so great, they're lying to you. And people like change sort of, but really it, it brings everybody a bit of turmoil, a bit of friction. And so we are going to get up in arms. I mean, you know, we've been talking about this whole new face ID type Dealy Bob for a while. And whenever I first heard about it and thought of the loss of possibly or thought of losing Touch ID, I was nervous. And I can remember saying like, oh, no, I can't do this. And since then, I've gotten sort of used to the idea even before the product is out. So yeah, people will kind of uh, recoil at the idea of having to do things a different way. Um, but in the end, like we do have to talk about this stuff, because if we don't talk about it, then we kind of have nothing to talk about. And people come to us to hear what we think and, and can kind of dig in and talk about the pros and cons of it. So it's a mixture of uh, different sites needing to get in those hot takes and get people, you know, reading their hot takes. And also the fact that humans would prefer things stick the way that they are because it's just biologically written into our code. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, people definitely are not cool with change. And I see that all the time. And especially when it comes to, you know, iPhones, which is, it's a brand that everybody feels so passionately about and everybody feels it's such a personal device. So when it changes, it really disrupts the way they think their life in the future is going to be. So when you see that pushback, I think it's mostly because yeah, they'll probably be fine when the change comes out, let's be clear. But the the thought of something crazy like the headphone jack being stripped from my iPhone, that was that was um that was a panic moment. I still haven't bought that iPhone by the way. But um I I did buy just to stick with the the whole Apple idea. I did buy the new MacBook Pros with a touch bar. Um, this The change that I was very against with this one was the fact that all I have are USB-C ports, but I have the machine now and I'm fine with it. Like, I, I was okay. But um, like I said, it's a very personal device, and I think that it really gets at people's um, uh, anxiety when changes like this happen. When will we learn our lessons? Come on, everybody. I remember when the 5S was rumored to have a uh, a touch sensor on the home button. I was like, wait a minute. How's that going to work? It has to be a button and it has to be a, uh, a, a fingerprint sensor on this button. It's not going to work. What in the world is everyone doing? And then it came and everyone was fine. Uh, I remember when, again, the headphone jack. Oh, a headphone jack is going to be removed and everyone's going to panic. No, everything's fine for most people. Asterisk. I, uh, I love the AirPods. And... <laughs> Every year that goes by and there's more rumors about Apple, I feel like the more people get up in arms about the fact that the phone has been the same 
for the past 10 years. Uh, there's never going to be a circular iPhone. There's never going to be an iPhone that's, you know, uh, with a divot cut out of it. Maybe there's one with a curved screen at some point. Who knows? But at some point, we all need to learn that things are going to be fine, uh, especially right now. Um, I'm looking at Face ID, for lack of a better word, the same way I looked at Touch ID a few years ago. And I was like, wait a minute. Why in the world would anybody want to look at their phone to unlock it? How's that going to work? Like, eye detection is so difficult. How is this going to work? It's going to be fine. Apple is not going to release something that is going to break everyone's phones um, and like, put their biggest product on the in the hands of this weird little feature. I mean... Touch bar aside, <laughs> I feel like <laughs> Apple's not going to do anything that's going to completely break one of their products that is so important to them and is so important to so many different people's lives. Yeah, I, I think that's that's spot on. And, you know, Apple is used to being told they're wrong all the time. So I think the danger is that they start to think that people are going to say they're wrong always and just ignore it. And once in a while, they will be wrong and, and just will be blindsided by it. But I need like Georgia Dow eventually, Micah, to explain to me mm -hmm. why we're, it feels like in some way we're addicted to drama and this becomes like a big drama every, every, every year right before the iPhone. And then when it's launched, there's like tons of drama around it. And we want our adrenaline levels high and we want our cortisol levels high. And we just get into a tizzy for a while. And then exactly what you said, like a month later, we don't even remember what we were all excited about. We've got something else. Kim Kardashian says something else. And we're all busy with that now. <laughs> it's it's why we watch uh, scary movies and uh, try to fight our phobias and things like that. I think there's a and and like roller coasters, there's a bit of uh, wanting those parts of our brain to light up. Uh, all right, wow! I just checked my clock again because I check it like twice during the show, and it is time for the show to come to an end. Aww. But before we do. We've got a bonus question, and this week's bonus question is sponsored by our dear friends at Linode. Linode lets you get set up in seconds with their fast and powerful hosting. Their tools are easy to understand and they let you choose your resources and Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And Linode plans now start at just five bucks a month for a Linux server with a gig of RAM in the Linode cloud. Now, Linode has over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IR in the Linode community. If you need help, Linode are there for you. Linode's control panel is beautifully designed with a focus on ease and simplicity. It allows you to deploy, boot, resize, and clone in just a few clicks. They have comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know for setting up and managing your virtual servers. They've got two-factor authentication to keep you safe, and you can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They have the power you require, as well as the infrastructure and assistance you want. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. You can get a server with a gigabyte of RAM for just five bucks a month, and you can go all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. Across the board, Linode are offering twice the amount of, Rome you're, of RAM you're going to get elsewhere. As a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com clockwise, you're not only going to be supporting us, but you're also going to get $20 towards any Linode plan. And with a day money back guarantee there's literally nothing to lose so go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit or you can just use the promo code clockwise 2017 at checkout thank you so much to linode for supporting this show and now it's time i just want to know do you like avocado toast <laughs> 
I think I think as long as you don't already hate avocados, everybody loves avocado toast. I do, but I've never paid for somebody else to make me avocado toast. I just make it at home and save money. I love avocado toast so much to the point where I uh, I, I didn't know much about it until I had it for the first time when I, Leah, paid someone to make it for me. <laughs> but uh, when we talked about it, my co-host Allison and I on Most Important Meal, it was just on the cusp of it becoming a meme and the whole avocado toast house buying millennial thing. So I feel bad for kind of being thrown into, uh, into defending avocado toast like this. But here I am. Uh, the timing worked out. And yes, I love avocado toast. And no, I will never own a house. <laughs> I, I really like it as well. And I've had it in the West Coast for a long time. And we just started getting it as far as I know, at least we just started getting it in Montreal. And at first, I assumed it was the West Coast revenge for poutine, because it's almost Ooh. the inverse of that. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's delicious and delightful. So what's not to love, Micah Sargent? Hey, uh, I have to be honest with you. When I first I, I did not know what avocado toast was. I genuinely thought that someone took flour and avocado and mixed them together and baked bread and then they made it into toast and that was avocado toast. And when I no, found it's out, not avocado loaf. <laughs> when I found out it was literally just toast with some avocado on top, I have to say I was disappointed. Um, I have not had it. I have a weird it's called oral allergy syndrome and some of the proteins in fruits and vegetables will actually trigger my allergies. So when I eat avocado, my lips swell a little bit and my throat gets a little itchy and I have to take allergy medicine to counteract that. So I don't eat avocado very often unless I'm really feeling it and I'm not very often feeling avocado. So avocado toast is not something that I like, you know, go after, but I feel as a millennial, it's important for me to consume it at some point just to kind of, you know, stick it to the man as it were. <laughs> uh, thank you all for your answers and thank Thank you all for your topics this week. All that's left is to thank our guests for joining us. Leah Becerra, I'm so happy you were able to join us and hope to have you back on in the future. Yeah, this was so much fun. I'm so glad to be here. And Renee, Richie, thank you for uh, joining us on Clockwise here. Uh, I'm so glad I finally got to do a podcast with you. Oh, absolutely. Likewise. And I got to do a Clockwise without being in a parking lot with Jason Snell. Score! Hey, <laughs> first time for everything. Well, Brian, I guess it's time to tell all of our friends out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody.